from Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Reverend Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to the pastor's table. I am Tara Beth Leach, and today we are launching a four-part series on women in ministry. And I am so excited for this conversation as I and believing that this is going to bless women and men alike who are out there, um, in particular women who are feeling like they're alone, right, in their journey, or women who are experiencing roadblocks. Um, today and for these these next four weeks, it is my prayer and my hope that women would be able to dismantle some of those narratives that they have internalized for so long and that they would realize that there are other women out there like them with boots on the ground who are serving, preaching, teaching, and leading. And so for these next three episodes, Mark is is not going to be with us. Uh, he'll be coming back in for the fourth one. And I have a special co-host for the next three weeks, which I'm so excited about. Bethany Hammer is a woman in ministry. She's been in ministry for over 16 years, and she has been one of my very best friends for for a long time as well. Bethany and I met in 2008. It's crazy. Crazy. 2008. I was a young 20-something. You were a young 20-something. I think we both had only been married for one year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We were kids. And we were on staff at this church called Good Shepherd Naperville. And that's the church that I now pastor. Yeah. It's it's kind of crazy. Bethany, do you remember the first time we met? <laughs> I do remember the first time we met. <laughs> it was fantastic. And uh, that'll have to be a story. If anybody wants to hear the story, the very first time we met, that'll have to be off the podcast. Yes, definitely. <laughs> but Bethany and I, we have been serving together for a really long time. And... And and now we're serving in in a, a fresh new way and kind of like in multiple ways, right? Like so now you are a congregant at Good Shepherd Church, but you're a ministry leader even though you're not on staff. Uh, your husband Ryan is one of my closest working partners. He is our our worship leader, and now we partner. Uh, together with this amazing ministry called Propel Ecclesia, which we'll share more about that in a few moments. But Bethany, welcome. Thank you for having me. I love being on this and this opportunity to have these conversations. This is going to be a really fun three weeks. Bethany, I wonder if you could share with us your journey into ministry. Did you always know that you wanted to pastor and preach, teach, and lead? No, I did not know. And I think a lot of the reason I can look back at it now and say I didn't know that was because I didn't see it. Mm. So uh, I grew up in a church that did not have women that Mm -hmm. were in the pulpit. Mm -hmm. In fact, uh, as a little girl, I was only allowed to wear tights and a skirt or dress. I was not allowed to wear pants. Um, So women were not allowed behind the altar. Only the men and the altar boys were, but no women. So I, I very much think that my path would have looked different had I seen it and realized that it was even an option. Mm. I remember when I was going to college and my mom said to me, 
I feel like you're just majoring in education because you feel like you're supposed to be a teacher because that's what I did. Hmm. And I said, no, I really like I was kind of offended by that. I was like, Hmm. no, I really want to be a teacher. Like, I, I really want to do this. And I honestly look back at that and think that she didn't even know that pastoring was an option for me. Wow. So she couldn't even encourage me in that gifting because she didn't know that it was an option. Right. I remember when I was in seventh grade, we had to give a speech. And I can't even tell you who I was giving the speech about, but I remember having my note cards and and our, our teacher said, whoever goes first can, uh, I will grade less harshly. So right away, my hand goes up. I went up first. I gave my presentation. I sat down and I will never forget. I can even just closing my eyes and imagining I am in that spot as a seventh grader sitting in that desk and feeling like that was fun. I want to do it again. Mm. And I didn't understand what that was, but it was very clearly a moment in my life where I can look back now and say that God wanted me to know that that was a gifting that he had given me to teach and to preach and to use my voice to share that with others so that they would know his love too. Mm. But I just couldn't recognize that. So I did. I went into education. I was an elementary school teacher for four years. I was very heavily involved in our church and student ministries and leading in that that area as a small group leader. And the pastor came up to me and said, um, I would like you to consider the the children's ministry position here at, at Good Shepherd. And I said, yeah, no, I'm really not interested, but thanks so much for thinking of me. And, you know, and and honestly, that was the conversation. And then I just walked away from it, didn't think anything of it. I joked about it with my husband, like, oh, can you believe Pastor Greg came up and said, you know, yada, yada. And he's like, well, would would you do that? And I was like, no, (laughs) no, I wouldn't do that. Uh, And then just like God, he just continued to just put people in my path that continued to say, I think you need to consider this. And I decided to just keep moving forward, still not being sure that this was what I was supposed to do. And I re- remember sitting in the interview and saying, and I could hear the words coming out of my mouth, but I almost didn't believe them myself and saying, if I were offered this position, I would take it. Wow. Yeah. Wow. And when you, what what was it that drew you to that position at first? And I asked that question because one of the thrills for me, Bethany, is having known you so long in ministry, is your call has taken shape. And I think that you understand your call very differently now Yes, than you did Absolutely. then. And I don't know that you, I would even venture to say that for the first six years in ministry for you, that, that you were even possibly even denying some of your call and some of the voice that God has given you. Mm-hmm. I would 100% agree with that. I remember very specifically. So one of the things that I wanted to uh, reimagine in children's ministry was there is this space where we would have first communion when kids were in fourth grade. And when I inherited the program, it was, hey, the kids come and then the pastors teach them and then the parents pick them up and then they go home. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, parents are the biggest spiritual influence that are Mm -hmm. ever going to take place with Mm -hmm. kids. So why are we removing them from this really impactful moment? 
And so we reimagined the whole program. We we totally changed it. Um, and it was this beautiful gift of parents and kids coming and learning together. And so many parents would say, wow, I can't believe how much I learned through this experience. So that was really, yeah. really cool. Uh, we had done this retreat, because uh, this communion retreat, for about five or six years. And the, uh, at the end of the communion service, we would always do a group picture, and all four white middle-aged men pastors would get up and take the picture with the kids, hmm. with 80-some kids. And I remember one year, I just felt this immense, like, wait a minute. And I, I felt guilty feeling mm-hmm. this, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want to put that out there because, mm-hmm. it, right, we're told to be humble and to be modest wow. Wow. and and to feel like I feel like I should be in there. I've, yes. I've been in relationship with these right. kids right? and put together this whole program with this amazing team of people. It was definitely not just me. Please hear me say that. But it was this moment where I was like, I realized I was not... I don't want to say viewed, but the position that I was in wasn't matching what the reality was. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so it was just that that struggle. And because you were pastoring, you were shepherding these Absolutely. families. Absolutely, but preaching, I couldn't name that. Yeah. I couldn't name that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was that was a very uh, it was a very conflicted space for me mm-hmm. to be in because again, feeling that like, oh, I'm not supposed to feel this, right? Right. But feeling that tension. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember, Bethany, for that communion treat, retreat especially, uh, some of the curriculum um, was it was just so-so, mm-hmm. right? And right. you wanted to create your own. Right. And someone, I think, I, I don't think they had bad intentions, but a male in leadership said to you, well, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You're not seminary trained. You're not a pastor. Right. And so... So you you were kind of experiencing this tension in that, yes, someone called out gifts and said, hey, you should be a children's director. But at the same time, I think that some of the things that were said to you and then your own upbringing in church, that you had an imagination that was still very much kept you sequestered to a corner of the church. Yes. That wasn't boots on the ground, front lines, leading, shepherding, pastoring, even though like, you know, you were doing that but you 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 weren't able to really articulate it or name it fully right yeah yes and that that has stuck with me yeah you know those things that people say that are not of god and like you said it it, it wasn't that the intention was wrong yeah. um but that doesn't mean it wasn't impactful yeah. or hurtful in the same stance and so yeah, I've had to really it, it's interesting too because I I left the position. I felt released from the position. Um and I know we'll get into that a little bit more with Propella Glacia. I felt released from the position and it wasn't until I was out of it that I could look back and name all those different instances that were similar to mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And it was that was very enlightening for me. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I wonder, this is not, I don't know that this is something you and I have really ever talked about, but so when we were serving a ministry together in our 20s, I kind of came to Good Shepherd out of nowhere, yeah, right? Right. Like I, I found Good Shepherd through churchstaffing.com mm-hmm. 
And like I didn't have that same good shepherd upbringing and con- upbringing and context. Um, I didn't I didn't fully understand the culture in the same ways that maybe you did. And very early on, I come in and I start like preaching right. on Sunday mornings, mm-hmm. and I was the only female preacher. Right. And so here we were, we're the same age, right? We're, we're in similar positions. And all of a sudden, this this woman from the outside, you know, me, like I, I come in and I start preaching. I'm just wondering what that did for your imagination, for better or worse. So I'll be honest with you, when you first started, it didn't bother me. I didn't look at it in a way of like, why does she get to do that? Mm-hmm. And they didn't ask mm-hmm. me to. Um I think for me, it was still more of a theological thing of Mm -hmm. a woman preaching Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because I hadn't realized how my upbringing had impacted me so negatively in that way. Yep. Um, So because I wasn't really interested in in doing that with the larger church, I knew. um, so, So that piece didn't bother me. As I reflect back years later and and now that I've gone to seminary and I remember even that that same person who said to me, you can't write that because you don't have the theological training. Um, When I was in my mid-20s, late 20s, also looked at me and said, you have such a gift of teaching. Hmm. And so... I think I just didn't put all those pieces together. And so right. now as I re- reflect back, I'm like, wait, well, why wasn't that recognized? Then if it was recognized, then why wasn't the opportunity there? I truly believe that I just wasn't, I wasn't there uh, theologically. I wasn't mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for it yet. So I think, you know, it's one of those things where God's timing is just God's timing and we can't, right. we can't understand it fully sometimes, but Right. Well, one of the things that, that we hope to do within this podcast is call pastors to a vision of theological inte- integrity. And and I and I do think, I really genuinely believe that those who who believe that women can't teach, preach, or lead believe that they, they are leading out of a vision of theological integrity. Mm-hmm. I really do believe that. Um and so so but at the same time for me, I feel such a passion of dismantling what I believe is uh, sometimes an anemic vision for women in the church and dismantling a theological framework that is not reflective of Jesus's heart for women in the church, mm-hmm. of Jesus's heart for women within the people of God, of God's heart for women in the people of God. One of our, both of you and I went to Northern Seminary, which yes. is this is a, a, a podcast um, uh, out of Northern Theological Seminary, and you and I have been both immensely blessed by the professors there, um, Beth Felker-Jones, uh, Scott McKnight. And, you know, Scott McKnight has been an incredible champion for women in ministry. And one of the things that he always used to say is, "Is what did women do in Scripture? Mm-hmm. What did they do? Mm-hmm. And if we begin with that simple question, we, we see that, whoa, they led. Right. Like Deborah was this incredible prophet and leader. Um, We have Miriam, this incredible prophet. Uh, We have Esther and Ruth and Mary, mother of Joseph and Mary Magdalene and Martha and Junia and Priscilla. And, And 
what we see is that that women were apostles, they were preachers, they were worship leaders, they were teachers. And so somewhere along the line, um, we move backwards, mm-hmm. right? And I, and I do think that we also move forward, right? Because I think, you know, w- during during the times when scripture was written, it was still the norm for men to hold all the cards. It was still the, the norm uh, for men to be uh, leaders of their household. It was still the norm for men to be um, the ones out there on the front lines in ministry. But we do see these snapshots where where um, women are subverting the norm, mm-hmm. right? They're completely subverting it. And then we see that throughout church history, women subverting the norm. And uh, throughout the American church history, we have um, eras where there were women who subverted that in pretty significant ways. I think of Maria Woodsworth Etter, who was this incredible evangelist and preacher and teacher and she, I mean, before there was, you know, Stephen Furtick, who had, you know, churches of 25,000, mm-hmm. uh, there was Maria Woodsworth Etter, who had this church of 25,000 in the 1800s. But all that to say, so, so yes, we have these moments uh, throughout church history where we see women subverting. And, and then we also see moments of, like, you know, breakthrough, okay, but now, now I think our generation we've watched it go backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, we've watched, we've watched it go backwards. You know, we have the SBC, right? Yes, where they they continue to dig their heels in the ground, and we've got Rick Warren's church, um, mm-hmm. Saddleback being kicked out of the denomination, and there's a there's a hunkering down, and that hasn't profound impact on the imagination of women in the church. Yes. And that had an impact on you. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, you started to have these breakthroughs, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, you know, Scott McKnight calls this, you know, a million gentle nods of the soul. Mm-hmm. I think for you, there there were probably millions of gentle nods of the soul. Mm-hmm. Because now you are this very anointed preacher and teacher, um, very anointed pastor. Tell me about some of those gentle nods of the soul that led you to stepping into your calling with authority and boldness. Yeah, so I think that, you know, I think as a children's ministry leader, a lot of how I viewed my role is that I'm not doing the work of the ministry, but I'm equipping others to do the work. Uh, But I remember when I was sitting in uh, the pastor's office, when we were just even having dialogue about, are you going to do this? Is this Mm -hmm. something you want to leave teaching to do and and whatnot? He said, you can still be with the kids. You can still teach the kids. And I thought, oh, that feels selfish, but okay. So I did. Mm. I did. We had a fourth and fifth grade ministry called Club 45, and I would teach the large group. Mm. And I remember I had been teaching it for years, and then I took a year off and let somebody else do it, and I had people come up to me and say, we really miss you doing it. Hmm. And one person specifically invited me back in and said, I really think that you need to come back into this. Hmm. You really need to do it. I really think that this needs to be you. So I hesitantly decided to do it again, and as I was doing it and as I was preparing, 
I couldn't believe how much of the backstory mm-hmm. I wanted to understand. Mm-hmm. And 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 then I couldn't wait to tell the kids. Huh. I could not wait wow. to share this information because as I was learning it, I was like, whoa, how did I not know this mm. before? Mm-hmm. And I would have the adult leaders come up to me and say, I can't tell you how impactful that message was tonight. Wow. And I'm like, it wasn't even geared towards the adults. Yeah. It was geared towards preteens. And so I just felt like God was just wrestling within my spirit. Mm-hmm. But I was in denial. Yeah. And as God does, he just continues to remind you of things. And it it was, uh, ironically, a, a First Communion retreat. <laughs> and the pastor, one of the pastors was supposed to come and uh, give this big God story. That's how we were going to start the morning. We were going to talk about the big God story. And something happened. He went out for breakfast with his wife and something happened where he had to be rushed to uh, the hospital. Hmm. And so we're, you know, T minus 10 minutes. And who's going to do this? Oh, wow. I've uh, not heard this story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one, I, of course, looked at one of the other pastors and said, go ahead. You know, like this is your it, and was very just flustered. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you guys are trying to do here. I don't understand this. And. And I said, okay, okay, all right, well, I I will I will do it. And so um I did. And I had more than one person come up to me and say, When are you gonna be a pastor? Hmm. So again, those Whoa. like gentle nudges of mm-hmm. God saying, No, I'm still talking to you. Mm-hmm. Are you going to hear me? Mm-hmm. And then I remember calling you and being like, okay, I feel like, well, actually, it was the moment we were at Disney World to, mm-hmm. or Disneyland together. Mm-hmm. And you and Ryan, my husband, um, were talking at one table. I think I was sitting at a table with some of the kids and I overheard you guys talking about seminary and you were encouraging Ryan to go. Yes. And I remember in that moment being like, no, I want to go. And that's what <laughs> I, I remember being so stunned, right? Yes. So, so. Your your husband is also very very gifted. He's yes. a gifted preacher. Yes, teacher, He's very gifted. worship leader, mm-hmm. theologian in his own right, and 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 you know to be frank, one of the reasons why I agreed to come to Good Shepherd was because of you guys mm. of of getting to partner with you and Ryan, and so I've always seen these gifts in both of you. And I remember I was sitting across a table with Ryan and saying, "So so when when seminary going to be in the cards for you, Ryan?" And he said. Well, I don't think it's going to be in the cards for me first. It's going to be in the cards for Bethany first. Mm-hmm. And I was just so blown away yeah. that he was stepping aside and saying, no, mm-hmm. my wife first. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. He has been such a champion yeah. because it's not easy. It's not an easy path. I mean, it was four years mm-hmm. of schooling and and to have his support and mm-hmm. to cheerlead me through those four years yeah. and encourage me and it was just such a gift so so you're in seminary and you started to become more alive uh to these robust amazing theological frameworks you started learning through some of the greatest theologians i i believe in the world at northern seminary but you also started to become more alive to your voice and god-given authority you started to preach on Sunday mornings. You were given opportunities. Yeah, I did. I did start preaching on Sunday mornings. And I think I feel like I got my voice because I understood the scriptures. Mm. And I never had had that opportunity mm. before. Mm-hmm. I, all I experienced was what I saw on a Sunday. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I had never really dug into, and even it's not even just reading just the verse, but it's understanding the context right. and exegeting that those verses right. to understand why things were being said and how they were being said in the context that they were being said in. And as I did that, I learned more and more. I, I learned Phoebe. She is absolutely like, I think one of my favorite women in the Bible yeah. Um, and I remember for one of my my classes, we each had different people we could pick. And I was in a, a group with two others, and we read a book uh, by Paula Gooder on Phoebe. Hmm. And it was historical fiction to to mm-hmm. some degree, you know, but it was in context of mm-hmm. what we knew her life to be. And it just changed me. Wow. Yeah. It, it made me realize, wait a minute. Paul, mm-hmm. who wrote so much of the New Testament, invited Phoebe to be a letter carrier. And I mean, there's even conversation out there. Did she help write the letter to mm-hmm. some degree? Because she, when you are a letter carrier, you're performing it. You're actually speaking it to the people. So she's going to Rome and speaking mm-hmm. this letter mm-hmm. that she potentially collaborated with yes. and asking or people are asking her questions and she is answering them. Paul knows that she's going to be the one that answers right. the questions right. and he sent her. Right. You know, and and there's so much more about yeah. Phoebe that we could say and all the ways that she did um support Paul in ministry. But what I realized is that God does use women and it's yes. all throughout scripture. Yeah. It's yep. all there. We yeah. just have to understand it and look for it. And uh, that did give me just a, a confidence to say, okay, I am chosen for this. Yeah, yeah. Well, it sounds like a breakthrough, uh, which is so important, I think, for women in ministry that we go through these breakthroughs because we carry with us and internalize narratives that are not a true picture of God's heart for women in the church. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, years ago even serving at, at Good Shepherd Church and sitting in a, in a meeting and hearing about a statistic. Again, this this leader in the church, very, you know, good intent. Good intent. Uh, yep. Yeah, but this, this male leader <laughs> in the church said that, he said, statistics tell us that if we want to grow a church, we have to get men in the door, right? Mm. That we need men in the door. That that if if you can get a man to church, that the rest of the family will follow. Well, guess what? We've learned that that statistic has roots um, uh, down throughout history that are just completely. It's false. Yeah. It's not even a real stat. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not even a real stat. In fact, <laughs> it, it's actually the opposite. That turns out it's women mm-hmm. that actually lead the way mm-hmm. in getting families to church, which felt true for me and my experience. Me too. Yeah. And, well, and I saw it in mm-hmm. children's ministries. Mm-hmm. The woman would always come first. Yep. She would check out the church before she would bring her family yep. or she would be bringing the kids and the husband would be at home. And then yep. slowly but surely, right. we would meet the husband. Right. <laughs> right. But that that's a narrative that we carry with us, right? Because I don't know what hearing that did to you, mm-hmm. but what it did to me is, oh, and if if it's men that are that are are leading the family to church, then how am I going to convince men mm-hmm. to do that? Right. 
And and I think what that's done too. I can't tell you how many times someone has said to me, um, "Well, Tara Beth, you're you're a you're a pastor. That's great. You're a female pastor, um, but who's going to lead the men in our church? Hmm. Who's who's here for the men? But and and no one has ever said to a male pastor, who's going to lead the women? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That does something to us. Yeah, get behind me. Satan. Yeah, and so. <laughs> So you've had some breakthroughs. What mm-hmm. are some of those other breakthroughs that you've had in your journey that has led you to where you are now, emboldened and called and living in your God-given authority? I think it just kind of how we were saying a little bit earlier is other voices that have surrounded me and called out gifts that they've seen in yeah. me. And I truly believe that it's, so, I hear this so often, especially with Propel Ecclesia, which we can get to in a minute, but how do you discern the voice of God? Right. And and God uses people. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw that so much through, I was denying, right? Yeah. I was not, oh no, I, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to be here in my little corner. And, you know, and so it was people calling those things out in me. And so I truly believe that that work, not only um, was that important to me, but it's also important for me to do to others, right? Right, to call right. out how I see right. God in them, right? What I see the giftedness that God has given, right? So I watched you go through a transition a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and God eventually called you out mm-hmm. of full time local church ministry. I say full time because I was at church all last week in the office, and I saw you hanging around <laughs> the building a few times because that's what you do. Yeah. Um, you serve and you use your gifts. But I wonder if you could tell us about that transition um, and, and what God has led you to. Yeah. So um, I did not imagine leaving in mm-hmm. any type of way, but I did feel a very strong release. Uh, and it was one of those moments where it was like, okay, I'm released, but I'm not done. Mm-hmm. Somebody said that to me and I was like, that is the perfect way to describe it mm-hmm. because I felt released, but not done. Mm-hmm. And so God's timing, again, is just what it's going to be. And so um, having conversations with you and with Christine Kane about women in ministry, we had this opportunity mm-hmm. to say, hey, we need to do something mm-hmm. here because their women are gifted just as men are. Right. And so right. it's not even to have this like theological debate. Mm-hmm. It's more just to come alongside women and mm-hmm. say, I see gifts in you. Right. Right. And and God wants you to use those gifts right. for his kingdom. That's right. He wants you to know your value and your worth in him and for him, what he's going to do in you and through you. That's right. And and so getting to have some conversations about how do we come alongside women to equip and empower them? Right. What does that look like? So to start from scratch and and imagine and pray and just Holy Spirit lead this movement. Yes. And then uh, having an opportunity to move on to staff, a staff position at Equip and Empower Ministries and partner with you and Christine Kane and Don Jackson and so many other amazing women, we put together a five-month cohort mm-hmm. experience for women in ministry. And that can look like pastoring. 
Mm-hmm. That could look like a director level. That mm-hmm. could be a deacon, mm-hmm. an elder, a key leader at a church, a small group leader. That could be somebody who's a worship leader or a writer or a biblical counselor. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be it could be parachurch ministry. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so we've seen um, people who are speakers, and so it's just been this this beautiful thing to say, "Hey, we're going to put women in ministry. Are going to put together cohorts for women mm-hmm. in ministry." Mm-hmm. And through that, we want to equip you and empower you because what have we just been saying this whole time? Right. Being a woman in ministry has its struggles. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember the first day sitting down in that church role, sitting at my computer, my big monitor computer, because it was, you know, 2008, yeah. and being like, I don't know how to do this. Mm-hmm. Somebody's going to find out. imposter syndrome imposter syndrome and i felt like i didn't even know where to go to get leadership tools to be the most effective leader i was like hey i went to school to be an elementary school teacher yeah i don't know what i'm doing so i think you know that's a lot of what we're saying is hey you don't have to sit alone anymore right Right. we want to come alongside you and um and as we'll hear in the next episode, we're going to meet with one of our Ecclesia uh, participants mm-hmm. who went through our first round. And they st- her cohort still gets together and have monthly prayer meetings. Wow. So it, it's not yeah. just the five months. It goes right. way beyond. And right. it's it's resources. It's coaching. It's community that is just uh, to, to help us in the longevity yes. of the call that God has for each of us. Yes. So powerful. And I know that's that's exactly why we started this. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the history of this uh, really began five years ago, uh, as for me as a pastor and someone who had been speaking a lot about this conversation. I started um, getting approached by so many women mm-hmm. saying, "Will you be my mentor? Right? Um, will you will you be my mentor, or will you be my friend? I need a, I need a friend with another woman in ministry." And I started to get so overwhelmed mm-hmm. because I kept saying yes. I know. <laughs> I know <laughs> yeah. you do that. I kept, I kept saying yes, and uh, I couldn't deliver. I couldn't follow through. Right. Um, but I kept saying yes because I had such a heart for all of these women. And I just kept thinking there's got to be some sort of pipeline or pathway or system that we can create to help women find each other because mm-hmm. so many women are out there uh, on an island alone. And so I developed a friendship with Christine Kane when I was living in Southern California, and we were fast friends. And we started to dream and pray about this idea. And um, you and I flew out to California just to get away. We did. We did. We, we were living. It was 2020, and we were we were you know in the doldrums of winter. And we said, let's go to California. So I texted my friend Chris, uh, and I said, hey, we're coming out. Let's 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 do lunch. Um, and so we ended up meeting her for dinner. Mm-hmm. And um, over a bottle of Chardonnay, yes. we were all we were all chatting, and I turned to her and I said, "Chris, here's the thing. I I really believe that God is is calling me to start a ministry like this." But I said, "You know, I'm I'm a full time pastor, and I don't have the the time or the bandwidth to start this alone." I said, "So I'm I'm just like boldly asking you, would you do this with me?" And it was just, I was so shocked and stunned that right away she said yes. And I thought, okay, she said yes, but she's, there's no way. Like, she's, <laughs> no way. 
And you were there. I was there. You were and there. And I was like, oh, cool. Great conversation. Yes. Like, didn't even think much of it, yeah. really, in the sense of. But then we yeah. get home and I said, Bethany, what have I just gotten myself into? Like, I, I really think God's doing something here and is calling us to start this ministry. Will you help me? Mm-hmm. And I remember you were just so, so like, oh, I mean, sure, I'll help you. But just at any point, you know, you you want me to, to step away, I will. Like, this is your baby. And I, I, I kept telling you, no, Bethany, I want you to be a partner. And my secret scheme, my plan was to that you would be able to have a full-time position. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so you and I, we worked on this for a year and mm-hmm. launched our first round in May of 2022. Yep. With 70 women in our first cohort, we had over 100 women Mm -hmm. in our second cohort, and we are about to start our third cohort in the fall of 2023, and we have uh, just two weeks left. Yeah. Two weeks left for for registration. So, Bethany, can you tell us if if there's a woman out there or if there's a pastor uh, who wants to sponsor someone on their staff? Mm -hmm. And let me just say to all denominational leaders who listen to this, to all pastors, uh, male pastors who listen to this, um, your women need this. Mm -hmm. Your women need this. And so so. Consider, pray about sponsoring this or sending this information their way, because the testimonies that we have heard from this program have been have been life changing. So, Bethany, if someone wants to get involved in Propel Ecclesia, what would they do? Yeah, so they would turn in an application and it's real easy. Just give us information about who you are. And then we ask for just a three to five minute testimony, Mm. video testimony to help us, again, know who you are so that we can make sure that we're really being intentional about putting women with other women in similar contexts. So Ecclesia, uh, it can be found on propelwomen.org slash Ecclesia. You can find a video testimony from a woman named Bria who has been through Propel Ecclesia, and there's uh, information on there on how you can start your application. But I, but I want to just echo what you said for a moment, because as I'm having one-on-one conversations with each of the mm-hmm. women that are coming in, uh, part of what I ask is, how did you hear about, about Ecclesia? And it's such a gift when they say, my pastor sent this to me and said, I want to wow. invest in you. Mm. Wow. And uh, it, it's what we were saying That's earlier, amazing. right? Calling yep. out the gifts we see in others. Yep. yep. That's right. That's right. So friends, thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging with us on this really, really important conversation. The next three episodes following this one are going to be impactful. Uh, We'll be talking with Maria LaCrone, who's a pastor in Southern Illinois. And then we'll be talking with Melissa Pillman, who is a pastor at Missio Day Church in Chicago. And y'all, I call her Yoda for a reason. (laughs) She is Yoda. Um, and, and not because of her age. She's, she's quite young, mm-hmm. but she is probably one of the wisest women in ministry I have ever known in my entire life. Mm-hmm. And so that will be a rich conversation between the three of us. And then Mark Quanstrom and I will get back together and we will reflect on, on the stories that we're hearing. Uh, so, Bethany, thanks, thanks for being my co-host over yeah, the next three weeks. This is, this is This is a lot of fun. Friends, may God bless you in this work that God has called you into. Um, May the Lord um, guide you in the moments uh, when you feel alone. And may you remember that there are others out there like you who are pressing in to a more robust theological vision rooted in Scripture and connected to the heart of God. And so until next time, my friends, 
The music on this podcast is Radiant Church by 1111 Worship. And the podcast is produced by Chaz Robbins at Hope Story Media.